I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hi, everybody. So after all of our schools closing down this week in Washington State, I saw some serious uproar on social media. I read some things that made my skin hot. I read a lot of misinformation. I saw a lot of worry and confusion. So I decided to have an episode about it. And hopefully it will help to give a more realistic idea of why the distance learning isn't happening five minutes later. And just kind of give a little baseline so we can all just calm down a little and uh, find some acceptance. I know this is a huge hit to everyone. My next guest is awesome and she explains it so calmly. It might just help us all take a little deep breath on the matter. The message of an equal and equitable education is so important. And here is my conversation with my guest, Jen Cole. Hi, Jen. Hi. Thanks for joining me today on such short notice. I really appreciate it. Of course. No worries. This is interesting times. So, yes, yes. I have just seen like a sea of questions and concerns from families online, and I just felt compelled to have an episode on the topic. So, I'm really happy that uh, one of my friends connected me to you. I'm happy to talk with you. Yes. Okay. So I'm hoping you can help just give us some guidance on the matter of the coronavirus and the school shutdown. First, can you tell us a little bit about your position that you hold at PAVE? Yes, absolutely. So I am the director of parent training and information. And every state and territory has a parent training and information center. We are all funded through a grant from the U.S. Department of Education. And we are here to provide technical assistance to families and community members when they have questions or concerns about education for a child, and this could be children birth through 21 or 26, actually. We answer questions. We are not attorneys. We do not give any kind of legal advice, but we endeavor to be as knowledgeable as we can. And what makes us uniquely positioned to help families is that most of us that work at PAVE are parents also of children with disabilities. So Mm. So this is like your journey of advocacy. Yes, I have a nine-year-old with developmental disability. So I kind of got thrown into this years ago, um, shortly after he was born. And um, I just endeavored to learn as much as I could. And then that is how I crossed paths with PAVE and ended up working for PAVE and currently serve as the director. I love that. Good job. (laughs) Jen, can you explain for some of our listeners who don't necessarily know all of our lingo what FAPE is? Yes. FAPE um, stands for Free and Appropriate Public Education. And FAPE applies for 
any student eligible for um, special education. That also includes students with Section 504 plans. They are also entitled to a free and appropriate public education. And that's different from an IEP, how? A 504 plan typically is a plan of accommodations. It does not usually contain um, specially designed instruction for a student. So for example, many students might have like life-threatening allergies in school settings. Typically they have a 504 plan that just kind of outlines what the school is going to do to make sure that the student has equitable access to their education. And Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I actually fully knew what a 504 was, so thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I know that now, I think officially, all of our schools in Washington State have been closed down, correct? Correct. Okay. So, and I know also in the beginning, uh, the fir- one of the first schools here that closed had immediately started like some online distance learning and then pretty quickly shut it down due to the fact that it wasn't serving all the kids. Mm-hmm which I think is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that that causes some frustration in the community, actually a lot. I've seen right. some really intense stuff about it. Can you explain why that is important and you know the district's, the district's thought process behind it, considering special education and 504s? So, you know, I think as a parent, what I have always been and continue to be concerned about is equitable access for my child's um, education. So when OSPI um, issued their handbook for parents regarding COVID-19, and more recently, I think it was just yesterday on Friday, they released additional guidance for schools. OSPI, the Office of the Superintendent of Public Instruction, has basically said is that, you know, districts have an obligation to provide equitable access. So this really does go beyond special education. It could include um, our students who are English learners, Mm. students who are experiencing homelessness, students in foster care, students who need access to um, nutrition services. I mean, it's a whole thing. So while, you know, special education is definitely a, a strong consideration, I know that as a parent, this impacts a whole lot of other students. And for some of our students, there's multiple intersections of that. We can see a student who might be experiencing homelessness and they have an IEP, an individualized education program. So they're even at a further disadvantage. So equity is key here. And that's the obligation that districts have to all of their students. So that's a huge consideration when districts are considering offering some kind of, you know, distance learning or remote learning. It's like, well, can all students access this? And if they can't, then we need to rethink that. Yeah. I mean, even I didn't even consider the whole scope of who is affected by this, not being able to just learn online. That's that's even bigger than I thought. Um, And it might be just the groups I'm in, but all I've seen now is kind of like parents of typical kids sort of angry at a way in the special education world and kind of arguing amongst each other on the on the matter. But 
you're right. I mean, this is so much bigger than special education. And I think that's really important to point out and remember. Yeah. And that's, you know, really unfortunate, you know, because times like this, we we need to be pulling together and communicating with our schools, with our districts, with our community partners to try to be solution focused. And it's, you know, really from my lens, not the time to single out particular student groups, but truly like students who have no access to a laptop, internet. I mean, what does that mean for them as well? So, yeah. It's a huge consideration, a huge equity consideration. Yeah, definitely. I know my local school district where my son goes, there isn't a plan yet. And I know it's because they're trying to figure out a way for this to be equitable. So I'm patiently waiting because I believe in them and I know they're trying to do the right thing. So do you know of any sort of ideas or plans that any of the school districts are working on to come up with sort of an equitable educational distance learning program? I have not heard any or seen any great plans at this point. And, you know, the shutdown of all the schools just happened recently. Governor Inslee just announced that. And I think that's set to start um, next week, early next week. My home district, my son's first day at home was yesterday on Friday. So they haven't communicated a plan out to me either. Uh, What I do know is that a lot of the superintendents are in communication, not only with OSPI, but also their educational service districts and each other to kind of get creative and um, be solution focused on how to move forward with a plan. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Before I got on the phone with you, I was talking with my aunt and she mentioned, what about for like these really small class sizes for maybe these kids that need extra assistance around like physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy? Like what are the options, if any, of maybe having just smaller settings or one-on-one times here and there throughout the week with any of these students? Or is that something that wouldn't even be possible? I guess it would just circle back to equity. So, you know, if something like that was designed and set up, then could those students access that? Yeah. Um, What about transportation? So there's a lot to consider. It's a conundrum. So what are some resources that you know of that parents could maybe turn to right now to figure out other ways to get services for their children or any other ways to kind of battle the 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 fact that these kids don't have a routine which is really important to some of them so i mean i have some thoughts i think at the local level it just really behooves schools and districts to be being in communication with families one thing that i did appreciate from my home district is that they sent an email at least to acknowledge that as a parent of a child receiving special education services that I'm thinking about this and I, they know I have concerns and then when they have more information, they're going to share that. So I appreciate that there's an acknowledgement of it at a minimum. I think that, you know, for a lot of families that do have access to social media or the internet, I see, or I'm noticing communities pulling together online to share resources and Uh, I think there's one of the most recent things that's been going around is like companies giving free trials to their educational apps. 
So, you know, sharing amongst the community. I know, or I've heard that some of our community partners, like um, Boys and Girls Club, they are continuing some of their childcare and opening that up to community that could provide some additional educational opportunities or at least, you know, experiences to keep kids engaged. Um, and, you know, from there, I've just been tracking, you know, information that's coming out of OSPI about their guidance to schools. I imagine that they're going to update their handbook for families as more information comes up. So, yeah, I think, you know, just trying to be plugged in as much as possible to those avenues can be helpful. Totally. Yeah, I've seen a lot of those class things come up online. And there's got to be so many different ones that you could probably just Google and download or get an introductory offer to and see if you it's something that'll work for your family. The matter of like services for these kids who do have individual education plans, are they entitled to these no matter what? Or do school closures kind of put a stop in that, like a stopgap? I mean, like, what does that look like for these kids if it doesn't end up working out for them when they go back to school? So I have been looking at some of the most recent guidance from OSPI regarding that. And generally speaking, and again, I'm not an attorney and I'm not giving <laughs> any kind of legal information, but generally speaking, if you know schools are shut down to all students, then they're shut down to all students. So there's that. Uh, but schools, from my understanding, do have an obligation as schools get ready to resume or, you know, even right now, they do have an obligation to consider this impact on students with disabilities. And because individual education programs are individualized for each student, then it potentially becomes that team's decision as they look at the information around the closure. Well, what has been the impact on this student? Might the student need access to extended school year services because the delay was so disruptive to their learning and maybe there was some regression in their learning? That's a potential. Or they might need to consider, has this extended closure impacted the student so much that maybe compensatory education might be needed? Those are hard questions to just say that all students need that. All students with disabilities need that because these are individualized education programs. But I would, you know, encourage families to be thinking about that now, you know, as time goes on and as parents, families are monitoring their child's progress or maybe lack thereof while they've been out of school, then to raise these issues with the IEP team, because families are an equal member of the IEP team, their feedback, their observations is valuable. So I, you know, as a parent myself, I'm thinking about that. And like I said, I've only had one day of closure <laughs> and with many more weeks to come. So I'm thinking about that right now. That's a very good point. Think ahead. Think about the extended school year program. Also, is the ESY something that's typically provided for any student who's maybe needing a little extra credit or maybe failed a class? Or is it currently just surrounding kids with IEPs? Well, so extended school year services is a little bit different from summer school. 
Okay. Summer school is, you know, typically offered often to all students, but sometimes more targeted at students who might qualify for free and reduced lunch or students who might be not on track to graduate. There's a variety of reasons why summer school could be a good fit for students. For students with IEPs, extended school year services is, an again, an IEP team decision. And there's um, specific Washington Administrative Code laws around um, how that uh, is defined. And often, often it's around regression. Some students might be more prone to regression in their skills, in their knowledge with an extended time off. It could also be for students who are at the cusp of some emerging skills towards the end of the school year. And so to cut off services then would be detrimental. So those are a couple of considerations. But truly, this is like interesting and unprecedented times. So it's hard to know at the end of this extended six weeks or maybe more what that might mean for the conversations around students with disabilities. Yeah, that would be that's this is all going to be really interesting to kind of see how it plays out. So what are you going to do? Do you have any ideas of how you're going to help your son with whatever developmental challenges that he has that he gets in school while you're off? Have you had any sort of like creative ideas or other plans that you're going to kind of go to? Mm, that's that's a really great question, you know, because I like many families, you know, I am full time worker myself. I do have the privilege of being able to telecommute. I can do that. And so if my son is at home while I'm trying to work like a full day, eight hour day or more, it could be challenging to balance my work needs and then his needs. So I'm, I'm trying to figure that out right now. Um, but I do know a lot about my son's disability. I'm very familiar with his IEP. So I have some ideas about, you know, how I'm going to be able to support his learning. My son also gets um, occupational and speech therapy. So those things might be a little bit trickier for me to implement because, of course, like I'm not a therapist, uh, but I'll be, you know, I'll go back to his IEP and like look at some of the goals and see what I can work on because I'm his first and most important teacher. And so I think as much as I can, I want to support his learning at home. And I think that's, uh, you know, for parents, if, you know, your child does have an IEP, you know, taking that out, taking a look at that is probably a really good idea at this point. I mean, I think all parents should be considering doing that just to be really familiar with what are the goals? What are some things maybe I could do at home to support the goals and what my child's working on? And then also like over time, like keep track of that because at the end of the six, you know, or more weeks, a parent might want to call an IEP meeting to talk about the impact that this extended time has had on their child's learning. And a parent can call an IEP team meeting anytime when school's in session. So something to kind of think ahead to perhaps. Yeah, those are both really good reminders. I'm actually going to do that this weekend. So thank you. I'm going to get my copy out. And if I don't have a copy, can we can just obviously email the school and have copies of the IEP sent to us, I'm assuming, correct? Yes, I would think that most schools have the capability to send an electronic copy to a parent through email. And 
potentially if parents don't have that, maybe that parent can go to the school and pick it up. Perhaps a lot of schools are doing the site-based meal distribution for breakfast and lunch. I'm really encouraged to see that starting to mobilize. Yeah, that's because awesome. true. Yes, because truly we have a lot of students where those school meals are a major source of nutrition for them. Yeah. And I've seen with a lot of the schools that it's free to every student, not just the students who are on a meal plan. Yes, I noticed that. That's great. Which is great because a lot of parents are out of work in a way. Maybe they're servers, maybe they're hairdressers, maybe they're this. And, you know, they're not getting the steady income that you would with a salary based job. Right. So that is really amazing. And I'm really proud of the schools for doing that. And the communities probably have a big part of it, right? Pulling together there. Absolutely. And um, I also know or had heard that Governor Inslee had asked school superintendents to be offering childcare for our first responders wow. and our healthcare professionals. So families should look into that because even if your child does have a disability, well, and you need to get to work, well, let's find out what accommodations can be made for your child. If you need to um, go to your job in the healthcare setting or you're a first responder, because, I mean, that's a critical need we have as a community as well. So, yeah, yeah, that's very cool. I know a friend of mine who has a side small business just had to cancel all of her clients because she's a nurse practitioner and they've, you know, required everyone to just be on call because the hospitals are filling up. So, yes. Yeah. Lots of things. Yeah. So back to your ideas of getting things organized, get a copy of the IEP and write down how the progress is going, write down if they're hitting the goals and how they're doing. That's also really good to keep track of it, like actually keep track of it. Keep track of it. Yes. Writing (laughs) down your concerns as you go. So, you know, six weeks or more from now, it's not like you're trying to scramble to remember, oh, what did this look like at the beginning versus at the end of this closure, you know? Yes. Be able to answer those questions and to also remember that we can ask for an IEP meeting at any time, even after we've just had one. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. That is one of our rights as um, parents. Yes. So what are some key things, whether it's like parents' legal or civil rights or anything that they need to remember during this time that would be helpful in looking forward? Is there anything, is there a message that you want to kind of leave? Yes. I think the two things that I think most about is equitable access. So is anything that the school is offering or moving towards as a remote learning or distance learning for their students? Is that accessible to all students? So I want to keep my eye on that. Then the other piece I want to think about is communication. And so I think in the end of it all, it's going to be really important for families and schools, districts, OSPI, that we all are communicating in a meaningful way and keeping the lines of communication open. And so even if a school doesn't have the answers, just acknowledging that families have questions and, you know, being forward and being proactive to you know, send out communication like, okay, families, we know you're thinking about this. We're thinking about it too. And it, when we have information, we'll connect with you. And in the interim, if you want to reach out to us with your concerns, we have an avenue for that. That's something my district um, opened up a particular email account 
for questions around the situation. Oh, that's great. Yes. But so equitable access, and that means all kids. It's so much bigger than students with disabilities. It's all kids. And then we have so many kids that have all those intersections of experiencing homelessness, of having a disability, and they could even be an English learner on top of that. I mean, that's a lot. And so their education matters just as much as my child's education matters. And then it's the communication piece, keeping the lines open. Yep. Yeah. I feel like (laughs) parents of kids with, you know, IEPs and 504s are maybe less stressed out and panicked in a way that we're sort of immune to this. We're used to this. We're used to waiting and battling and waiting and appealing and evaluating to get our kids educated. And we go through this a lot to just get what we want. And we're not just upset the second it isn't happening for us. So I think we kind of are a leg up there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, well, it's true. I mean, there's a lot of things that I think families who have children with disabilities, I mean, we go through absolutely. And that makes us very resilient. Yes. For sure. And, you know, along those lines, I think, too, we also have just resiliency in all our families. And whether it is a disability or if it's experiencing homelessness and other things, like if we could pull together and be aligned and really care about equitable access for all of our students, then at the end, we're going to be better together that way. Amen. And I really, really appreciate the school districts honoring that and not sending us kind of back into the dark ages with this just because some people are panicked about their kids' education. So I appreciate it, even though it's taking a little time and it might not totally work, but I think it's great to have included that thought process. Yes, absolutely. It's better for us to be united and care about everybody's access. Well, thanks, Jen. Is there anything else that you would like to share on the subject? Just that last thought about working together, pulling together, and working with our community partners and our schools to be solution-focused, I think, is going to really be helpful as we emerge from this and move forward from this. Yeah. Yes, totally. I feel so much more relaxed after talking to you about it, really. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. Good, Effie. Yes. And I, you know, I really appreciate that you create this avenue of um, information for families um, through your podcast. I think it's really great. And I appreciate that as a form of advocacy for, you know, your, your child and for the many others who will connect with your podcast. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, I'm going to say goodbye to you, Jen, and I'm glad to have met you and hopefully I can call you again when I have questions. Absolutely. You know how to find me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do. Thanks, Jen. Okay. Thank you, Effie. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.